0: Hello everyone and thank you for attending uh and listening to this week's session of Nick's Notes on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I know I missed a week last week and I did that because most of you were at Health HLTH and enjoying a live conference as uh we haven't most of us haven't done in a really long time here. Um this week I wanted to talk about the broader space that is called remote monitoring remote real-time monitoring, remote vitals, whatever you want to call it, right? One of the most promising aspects and the most promising disruptions in healthcare is to keep people out of the hospital, as in outpatient care, whether it's for palliative care, surgery centers, um, anything non-emergency, non-ICU, we are looking more and more at certainly primary care. There's a company I founded, Heal, that does home-based primary care and there's Dispatch Health does a urgent care, with telehealth, and one of the most promising technologies within that arena for chronic disease patients is real-time remote monitoring of vital signs, right? So I have a blood pressure cuff and a blood sugar monitor and a heart rate monitor and a pulse ox and whatever else may be important or necessary. And there are 50 companies who are doing this and making devices and approaching the space from different ways. And the idea is that when I take my blood pressure or when I monitor my blood sugar or whatever, automatically uploads, goes through the cloud, and goes to some provider who will look at it, track it, and do something important with that information if something, in fact, needs to be done. And just this week, this week, I'm a 51-year-old man, and I saw my doctor, uh, not my wife Renee, who is my doctor that I'm married to, but my my primary care doctor, Um, and she said to me, you need to Uh, monitor your blood pressure. And she was about to tell me where to buy a blood pressure cuff. And then she was explaining to me that I should text her my blood pressure every day for the next two weeks. And I was like, no, I can use remote monitoring for this, right? Um, And it has incredible potential because the idea is that these vital signs, if my blood pressure is changing or if it's not improving, let's say I go on a blood pressure medication um, and my blood pressure doesn't improve, or I go on a, Uh, blood sugar medication and insulin or whatever the case may be, or something to manage my heart rate and it doesn't improve, then this is an early warning sign for providers to take corrective action. If I am taking a medication or I'm not taking a medication and all of a sudden my vital signs go out of whack, right? There's an acute, change in my blood pressure, blood sugar, heart rate, whatever, or an overtime change. These can be indicators of potential acute or uh, longer-term health issues that can be proactively, preventively remedied rather than waiting for hospitalization, ER use, etc. And we can keep people out of the hospital for that are there for observation because we can observe them at home. But and importantly in 2018 medicare approved billable codes for real-time remote monitoring right my company heal was one of the first to enter this space um with our product the heal hub and we won the 2018 uh, Consumer Electronics Show Innovation Award, and the 2018 Small Business of the Year Award from the Consumer Electronics Show for the way we integrated the the Heal Hub the remote monitoring into primary care. But here we are in 2021, post COVID, post virtual care is. A not an afterthought, but a first thought in care delivery. Home-based care is a default standard. Remote monitoring is everywhere. It's a commodity. Now we're talking about camera-based diagnostics. I, I'm trying out a tool right now that I can hope hold up my finger to my camera and measures most of my vital signs, right? Um, they're getting closer and closer to prime time, those those products and services. Yet They're not transforming the industry. More and more data is suggesting that this is an expense, and Medicare Advantage plans are getting more and more reticent to pay for this expense, to pay for these coding, right? Why is that? Why is that dichotomy this incredible potential that remains to this point largely unrealized, right? Why is it that my doctor, who is part plugged into the UCLA Health System, who is an incredible physician and is very caring and pretty tech savvy and did a lot of stuff in real time on her computer and sent it to me in electronic form, but for this thing was telling me to write down my blood pressure in the same way that when we had our last child, which was four years ago, and Renee was at risk for tracking blood sugar for gestational diabetes, the, the OBGYN was telling her the same thing, write it down and text it to me, right? Well why is the science not advanced in four years when health tech so much money has gone into this space and so much potential exists? The fundamental reality of remote monitoring is the old adage if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Right? The tree, we know from physics, does make a sound, but The vital signs have to be looked at to be interesting, and the people who are expected to look at them are the same people who have been bludgeoned by COVID, are attacked in the political sphere now, unfortunately, and are working more than ever for less than ever, which are doctors right? And and nurses, the expectation is that these caring, learned providers will take the time to look at my blood pressure or blood sugar or heart rate and tell me what's going on. And otherwise, what's the point of measuring it, right? What is the point? This is something that I can make. If I'm a provider group or provider entity, boom, I put in these things and I can start billing Medicare and I get 120 bucks a month and it sounds great. But that money is wasted and the potential of this technology is wasted unless someone's actually looking at it. But the people who are being asked to look at it do not have the time to look at it. And then there's a the problem of just too much information, right? I am a physician. I'm not, but imagine I was a physician, and I'm being asked to look at health records data, and now. And and I have a census of 800 to 2,000 patients. And now I'm also being asked to look at their real-time vitals. And how do I separate the trend lines? Hey, this person's blood pressure is increasing over time to there's an acute problem. Am I responsible on Christmas Day and New Year's Day in the middle of the night because someone's heart rate has spiked for looking at it and doing something Right when they should call 911, do I? I don't want to take on that additional responsibility. I'm already putting in 60, 70 hours a week to be a physician. Right. How is it possible for me to take on that responsibility times hundreds or thousands of patients? Right. It isn't responsible, it isn't reasonable to expect me to do that. And at the same time, the patients like, well, why am I monitoring this? No one's actually looking at it. Right. What needs to exist to make this work in the middle is not just a billable code, right? Too often, Medicare, with the best of intentions, and and I'll, I'll, I've i said on this podcast, and I believe that of every insurance company in America, the only one that works is the one that isn't an insurance company, which is Medicare, it's a... Uh, it's a care coverage company. It enables everyone to get the care they need. So they operate with, in, by and large, the best of intentions. And even with the best of intentions, what they can do is pay for something. And they look at it and say, this has a potential to lower healthcare costs. It has a potential to help people live better lives. It has the potential to enable doctors to act on data. It has a potential to keep people out of the hospitals. These are all the good things, so we're going to go pay for it, right? But it didn't solve the problem of who's going to look at the data. And right now, there's a code to bill for it. So companies are running to scramble to say, capture this revenue, right? It can be lucrative. $1,500 per patient per year in real revenues. That's real, right, to, a doc, to any provider group. What needs to happen is an at- analysis layer. And this is where we talked once on a previous episode about the promise of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Right? This is where machine learning can be really, really interesting. Because what is interesting, what is potentially really interesting, and Renee says this, and I'm stealing a line from my physician wife who's said the use of remote monitoring should not be to act when there are issues but to prevent issues in the first place. Remote monitoring is a part of preventive health or should be a part of preventive health, we believe, at hey Renee in the exact same way that a COVID vaccine is a part of preventive health or a flu shot or a singles vaccine or the annual physical, which I had two days ago, right? I don't have a acute health issue right now, but I have things that I need to take care of so that I don't have an acute health issue in 10 years, Right. In the same way, remote monitoring can be looked at that way. But for it to be looked at that way, what we have to do is innovate. And what we are trying to do at Hey Renee. but what the industry has to do is innovate the machine learning algorithms that look at those trend lines and appropriately triage either acute changes or trend lines in the best possible way. For that patient, based both on population health data, as well as individual patient data. And here's what I mean by that, right? So first, let's dissect the population health versus individual data, right? If someone were to come in with a systolic blood pressure of 250, that's bad, period. No one should ever have a systolic blood pressure of 250, right? But it's possible for that for certain patients, based on their health needs and their trend lines, a blood pressure spike to 175 is equally bad for that person as 250 might be for another person, right? Similarly, uh, so we have to look at the population trends, right? What is in a dangerously high heart rate or blood sugar or blood pressure or dangerously low numbers, right? 104 fever is bad for everyone, but a hundred is not bad for some people because some people's body naturally runs hotter or 99. And some people's bodies, temperatures are naturally lower, right? We always learn this 98.6, but a lot of us baseline at 97 and a lot of us baseline at 99, right? We know that now. So we have to look and machines can easily and intelligently learn my trend lines And what's appropriate, not just for me, but then let's take it a step further for 51-year-old guys, but 51-year-old guys of Indian ethnic origin, because we know our ethnicity and our DNA affects our DNA, which can make a difference in what our baseline temperature, height, weight, arterial. I was, uh, over the weekend, I was in Palm Springs with a CT surgeon that does heart transplants. And he told me something fascinating that we know now, that ethnic people from India, generally have smaller arteries than people not from India and people from other parts of the world who knew that's really freaking cool to know but okay so now work in those factors work in my stress diet and lifestyle social determinant factors to know where hey these trend lines were let me I should let the primary care doctor know but that primary care doctor is not going to be bothered about my vital sign trend lines more than a couple times a year because these are longer term trends that they would want to look at, right? This is something that requires urgent care. Okay. For a sicker patient that might happen three or four or five times a year. Okay. These are, this is an acute change. We should call 911. And if a machine system did that with reliability, 24 hours a day, and because machines can't be, perfect until machine learning requires iteration and learning right requires learning and we know from having three young kids that learning takes time right we have to take that learning and say okay the machine learning should surface what it thinks are alerts to a panel of human monitors and those human monitors then triage to the right place Then we can make the system work. Then those data points are something where a patient knows these are being looked at and acted upon in the right way, which is, hey, are you okay? Do we need to get you to the emergency room right now versus, hey, we're going to have you see your doctor in two weeks. This is something that should get looked at, but there is an urgent. Versus, hey, we're going to get you in contact with an urgent care center tomorrow, something we should look at sooner rather than later. Let's have someone qualified look at this, right? And then... So that's decision support, right? That's decision support-based data. And then eventually that can evolve once it gets it right to what we really get excited about, which is delivery data, right? Which is machines saying, okay, Nick, you started amlodipine for your high blood pressure. It's come down from the 160s to the 140s. We want it to come down into the 120s. So we're going to switch from amlodipine to benazapril, okay? Great. Can a machine make that decision? Today, no. But in three years, maybe in five years, almost definitely, because those routine decisions can often be made better by an infinitesimally accurate analysis of data rather than a arbitrary judgment of an overworked physician. And physicians would welcome that. And for anyone that thinks that kind of changes are going to happen, look at what Noom has done in the diet and weight loss space, right? We trust machines to help us lose weight. Why don't we trust machines to help us take medications? That change can come if the first change comes, which is we turn this data into actionable decision support for the appropriate level of provider so the patients know that the right person is going to enter and the right system is going to interact with their data. And they don't have to worry because if something is a little wrong or a lot wrong or wrong right now or heading in the wrong direction, someone's going to take action. And if they have that peace of mind, that's worth taking my measurements right? And that creates an industry in which this preventative data, I'm sorry, this vital sign data can truly be used in a preventive way rather than just adding to the exabytes of health data that no one is looking at. And now the government and so all of us are paying for in a way that isn't generating a tremendous amount of value. This is what we envisioned when we created this The remote monitoring system we did in 2018. It's what we are working on now is the data and analysis part of the problem in 2021, and it's what we hope to bring to market in the coming uh, year or two. And with that, I close, and as always, welcome your comments and thoughts. It's been a pleasure to be here, and thank you.